0: And let's go to the book of 2nd Timothy. 2nd Timothy. would hope that you would echo the words of that song in your heart as she was singing it. The world offers us an awful lot. But I'd rather have Jesus. Because there's nothing this world offers... That has any lasting value. Jesus put it this way What if, what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And this morning I'm going to have to ask you to listen closely. Uh, We are going to deal with a a difficult passage, one I just believe the Lord wants us to deal with here. And uh, we're going to start our, our reading this morning in. Chapter 2 of the book of 2 Timothy, verse 24, and then we're going to go back and pick up the greater context of this passage. But in verse 24, and he is speaking to Timothy, trying to give him instruction. This is what the preacher is supposed to do. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his Will now, I don't know about you, but as I read the Bible, usually there are just certain words that jump out at me, And in this text, I'd like to just review a few of those words. The first word that just jumps out of the text to me is a "pose." The biggest word in this whole text, to me, is peradventure. Now, that's a big word that we don't use much anymore. Uh, it means by chance. Uh, our most, uh, the closest word that is in common usage today would be perhaps. Uh, maybe, kind of, sort of, but we don't really know per chance. Peradventure means this could possibly happen but it might not it's a big word per adventure and then the next one is to recover that's what's supposed to happen the, the preaching is supposed to 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 go out that instruction and, and perchance perhaps those that oppose themselves will receive the truth that they can recover themselves. And the last word I'd like you to look at is his. That's a possessive pronoun. It's talking to people who are taken captive by the devil, but it's at his will. It's the devil's plan and desire. Uh, Peter Uh, tells us that the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Paul is telling Timothy here, you're going to be instructing people that have already been taken captive. They are held in the snare of the devil, and they got there at the devil's will i don 't know about you, but that's that, this is a scary passage of scripture to me and, and the word that makes it most fearful to me is that word peradventure, because it doesn't mean that everyone who's taken captive is going to escape. It means there's a lot of people that are going to be taken captive. And they're going to be held there. And if we follow, which I hope to bring out the entire context, many of those people that are held captive do not even have the sense or the knowledge or the ability to understand that they have already been taken captive and are being held by the devil at his will. There's something that's got to happen. You, you see, I used to be uh, uh, do a lot of auto mechanicing in my early years in the ministry. Most of it was to keep Brother Clayton on the road uh, as we would travel from place to place. And, and uh, he found out I had a little bit of ability and he immediately began to use that because it saved the ministry money. And it kept us going, and we were able to fix the problems before we got alongside the highway and something bad happened. And those are good things. But I learned that just about anything, if you want to understand how it works, take it apart. But here's the trick. It's putting it back together again without any leftover pieces, amen? Uh it usually works best that way. And I like to take the Scripture apart. But then we want to put it back together again, make sure we're not missing something. You see, if this Scripture is true, and of course, that's never in doubt. Scripture is true. There's not a question to it. Then there are people sitting In this auditorium this morning, because you remember, Paul was teaching Timothy and explaining to Timothy how to pastor a church. And so there are people in the church, there were people in the church that Timothy was in charge of that had been taken captive and yet they showed up church every Sunday morning. They were not in the will of God. They were under the will and the domination of the devil. And yet, they were there. And the Bible says that the job of the preacher is to not to strive, but to be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patience, It says, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Now, uh, I want to make sure that we understand the words here. And we've been through this many times. But uh, bear with me one more time. What does the word meekness mean? Meekness, not weakness. Meekest man in the Bible. If we had our children here, we would have somebody raise their hand and say, Moses! You know why they'd say that? It's because the Bible says that he's the meekest man, meekest man above all men that lived on the earth. Was Moses being meek when he stuck his finger in Pharaoh's face and said, let my people go? Now, I'll I'll challenge you. He didn't stick his finger in Pharaoh's face and said, let my people go that they may serve me. He, He was speaking to Pharaoh. Arguably the most powerful Man on the face of the earth in his day. And here's this old ragged shepherd out of the wilderness in the courts of Pharaoh and all the splendor that was there. By the way, just so you know, they had hot and cold running water in Pharaoh's court. In Moses' day. Uh, These were not country bumpkins uh, sitting on rocks. Pharaoh's throne was paved with gold. We found King Tut's tomb, and it was one of the few that had ever been uh, unviolated or kept safe from the grave robbers, and there is no value. I mean, there is no way to put a valuation on the riches that were found in the tomb of this young kid who only reigned a couple of years, and modern science has said that he he died of a headache. Somebody bashed the back of his head in because they wanted to be king instead of him. And this no-account teenage kid was buried with more gold and more treasure then the human mind can comprehend. And yet, if we were to understand, he was the least of all the Pharaohs. The Pharaoh that Moses faced, if we understand our history correctly, and of course, the historians will argue with this because he was the most powerful and richest Pharaoh in the history of Egypt and Moses stuck his finger in his face and said let my people go and pharaoh said no and it was pharaoh's outstretched arm that divided the red sea by god's power and in meekness at the command of god pharaoh pulled that uh, moses pulled that rod down and that sea came in and destroyed pharaoh and his army, in meekness, my friend. Okay, here's the working definition of meekness: operating under the authority of another. It's not about me. It's all about God. Moses was nobody, but Moses gave uh, was given a job by God to humble and destroy and completely deplete the most powerful nation on earth. That's meekness. So you'll have to forgive me sometimes if I sound a little dogmatic, because I'm trying my best not to speak for Pete Montoro, but to speak for God. And and he has a little bit of authority. I'm being sarcastic. You see, if you can listen to the truths of God's Word and sit in that pew and say, I have to go home and think about that. I want you to understand something. You're already in the snare. You've already been taken captive. You see, God has the right to tell us what to do. He has the right to tell us how to do it. And and by the way, you can't improve on God. Eve tried that in the garden. We're not supposed to eat of that one tree, neither are we allowed to touch it. Because you know something? If you never touch it, you'll never eat of it. But when she began thinking about the temptations of the devil, she said, you know, God really didn't say not to touch it. And by the time she touched it, she'd already made the decision to break God's commandment to eat it. If she had just stayed under the protection of God's word alone, she would have been protected from the snare. Of the devil. Now I want to challenge you today. Every one of us in this room has been there at one point or another. And chances are we will be in the future. Aren't you glad you can't lose your salvation? How many of you have ever lost something really, really important to you? How many of you have ever had something very valuable stolen from you? Uh, You still lost it. You didn't keep it. Uh, Let me tell you something. The devil is a thief. The devil is a liar. The devil wants to deprive you of God's blessings. You see, he can't, Keep you out of heaven if you're saved. If you're not saved, his primary goal is to keep you from understanding the truth of salvation. Once you are saved, he wants you to, uh, as we're going to look at in a minute, uh, begin to oppose yourself because once you start that process, you then remove yourself from the will of God and put yourself under the authority of the devil. And he is not a great person to serve. Let me tell you, he only destroys and seeks to hurt you. You see, the tragedy is that many people are taken captive and they don't even know it. They operate as they think they are. But there's going to come a time when when that captivity is going to be made known to them. It's going to be the white Judgment, the white great white throne, the white judgment seat, the judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne. And it says, Jesus is going to say to them, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. What did he say in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, there's going to be many that are going to say that in that day. There's going to be many that say unto me, Lord, Lord. And they're going to list all the good things that they have done. And if we put that passage together with this, those people that are in that group that are able to say that, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name done many wonderful works? They are people that came to church every week. And who were taken in the devil's snare and never even knew it. So let's go backwards from this tragic place because here in verse 26, it says that there's a chance. Verse 25 says, peradventure. That God, per venture, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that they may recover themselves. Now, this ought to be your desire today. This ought to be the goal of your life, of my life, is to make sure that we have recovered ourselves out of the snare of the devil. That we are not living at the will of the devil or under his influence, but at the will of God. And and I doubt there's a person in this room here this morning that would say, Preacher, I want to live under the will of the devil and be destroyed. I, that's just my life's desire. I mean, there are people like that out there, but they're not being honest. I mean, I've met the people that says... Uh, hell's one big party, and I can't wait to get there. You know that, That's not honest. And they're just trying to drown out the sorrow and despair that is in their heart because they don't think there's any hope of them reaching an eternity in Christ. My sermon this morning is telling you there is hope. There is a recovery. Uh, there is a, a way to live the way that God wants us to live. And so what do we need to do to get this recovery, to be able to escape this snare, to be no longer subject to the devil's will, but be to subject to God's will? And, and we come back here and it tells us that we must have repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Now, that word repentance is a wonderful word. But let's go back just a little further. It says, in meekness, instructing them, those um, that oppose themselves. Now, I want to read the definition of the word oppose. To confront with objections or hard questions. To pose, to examine, interrogate, or question. Now, how many of you have ever opposed yourself? How many of you have ever presented yourself with hard questions? How many of you have ever interrogated yourself and said, why did you do that stupid thing? Come on, let's get our act together. I met a guy one time. He said, I I talk to myself for two main reasons. Number one, he said, I like to talk to intelligent people. He said, number two, I like to hear intelligent people talk. Sounds like somebody that opposes themselves, now, doesn't it? I've met people that have said to me, says, "Listen, I have the answer to questions you're not even smart enough to think about." And my answer has always been, but I have the answer to the only question that matters: Where are you going to spend eternity? Are you in the snare of the devil at his will, or are you serving God? By his will, I mean that 's the only question that matters, and so it 's the job of the preacher to instruct those that oppose themselves. Listen to the second definition of instruction uh, of oppose it 's to put objections or hard questions specifically to put forward objections to be answered by a person maintaining a philosophical or theological thesis especially as a means of qualifying for a degree. You know, I made the mistake, and uh, as I have read this passage many times, you you see, the Bible says that we are to mortify the flesh, the deeds of the flesh. uh, That we are to fight with ourselves. I want to challenge you. The word oppose is in your King James Bible for a reason, because it's not the same word. It is not the same meaning. Those that oppose themselves are those who sit and argue with themselves. Those who uh, I guess a good word is uh, uh, take an introspective look, analysis of themselves you ever met people like that they can explain to you their feelings and why they feel the way they do the Bible says that is opposing yourself they they're the people that often look in the mirror and say I hate you to the reflection in the mirror and and they are the people that that uh, 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 have developed what we call multiple personalities so that they can have an excuse for all of the conflicting emotions and desires that go on in their bodies? Are are you saying all mental disease is a personal choice? No. No, but the vast majority of it is learned behavior. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. You see, you're fighting the wrong battle. There's never been one drug addict gotten off drugs by fighting himself. They got off drugs by stopping to take them. By not walking down to where the drug dealers were and taking money out of their pocket and buying it or going to a friend's house who has it where they can get it for free. Uh, There's not one alcoholic that has ever stopped drinking by fighting with them, opposing themselves, by giving intellectual arguments and, and and convincing themselves how evil it is. They've got to stop drinking. And there's not one person that has ever come to faith in Jesus Christ through logical dissertation with themselves. It's for by grace through faith. We had a man, and I think I can tell his story. He hasn't been here in years. He'll probably show up tonight. It's the way it usually goes. I won't give you his name. Some of you may remember him, if I, but I doubt it. But he would come to church and he would sit through a service. He'd always come late, leave early. And I knew whenever I saw him, I was getting a phone call after church. And so about a half an hour, 40 minutes after the service, I was finally starting to relax. And oh, maybe he's not going to call. Ring. Oh, no, here we go again. I just wanted to check in with you, Preacher you really made me miserable tonight. I know God is still working in my heart. As long as I feel miserable, something good's happening. I said, no, that's not true. you got to stop opposing yourself and start doing something right. Never did. Eventually, he got tired of feeling miserable and he got tired of coming and he stopped. But you know what? there's a desire in my heart as a preacher to just want to grab a hold of somebody like that by the shoulders and just shake him until he says, Okay! Okay! I'll do right! But you know what? He'd be dead long before that happened. Because you can't shake the truth into anybody. They have to choose. You see, that's where that prayer adventure comes in. That's where that hope so, maybe so, by chance. That's what the word perventure. You see, it's not God who's playing Russian roulette, trying to decide who he's going to let into heaven and who he's not. It's not God who's up there going, Yeah, Not today. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God of love. Who died on the cross to pay the sins for every man, every woman, every human being. Not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So where does the chance come in? Title for the morning's message, is there a chance for you? Where does the chance come in? You see, chance simply means... It's a probability. There there are men that go into the casinos and the gambling houses and they have it all worked out. They are not gambling. They do not lose money. I met one of these guys one time. He told me he'd raise money for us to help us buy our building. And I said, you know something, I just really don't want it. I understand what you're doing. And, and and how you do it, and, and, but you know I, I just don't want money that you want in a casino paying for our building. I just don't don't want that. And um, but see, it wasn't a chance for him. He knew how to work the numbers. He knew how to take the probability of which card was going to be next, and he. He said, "I always win." He said, "I never use any money that does, I only use my money." He said, "If I lose, I know that they're dealing with a dirty deck." He said, "I know they're cheating somehow." He said, "And I go and I turn them in, and then I come back and I win." And uh, I can't argue with what he said, but I do know this: that when chance is involved, and this is the point I'm trying to make. You can do things to minimize the the chances. You can do things to tip that chance in your favor. Are you following me? When I was working with Brother Clayton, do you know how many moving parts is in a pickup truck and a fifth wheel trailer? And, and uh, we had three different rigs and we had some diesels and gasoline engines and some of them were really old and uh, we had a 69 pickup that we drove around with us. And, of course, this was in the early 80s, but it was old then. And uh, uh, there, there's always a chance that something's going to break down and go wrong. And my job was to tilt that chance in our favor so that we would get to the next church and not have a breakdown on the road. So you know what I did? I checked all the tires. I, I checked for cracks in the sidewalls. I, I would uh, change the oil and do regular maintenance and, and always kept, kept up on that and checked the filters and, and would walk around the vehicles and make sure that everything was lubricated. You know why? Because I wanted the chances of a breakdown to be as small as possible. And you know what? The Lord blessed. And he took care of the things that I couldn't take care of. And we've got to get that in the right thing. And I'm telling you here that God wants you to have repentance to the acknowledging the truth. God wants you to recover yourselves. But you can't recover yourself until you know you're God. If you won't admit that you're trapped, you're never getting out of the trap. Are we together? I told you, you've got to listen close. I'm not trying to be mean this morning. I'm trying to be meek. I'm trying to tell you what God says in His Word. You see, without this repentance, without acknowledging the truth, you're never going to recover yourself. And somebody may be thinking, Pastor's preaching this sermon at me. Yeah, I am. But I don't have any names in my head. I prayed that I would not. In fact, the Lord let me struggle with this message for many, many weeks. And as I was preparing for the sermon this morning, all of a sudden it was like, ah, today's the day. And so... uh, if you, if you think that I am targeting you, uh, I want to warn you, you're in the snare. You see, the first thing that we do is go back to verse 14. It says, of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. You see, one of the things that I have found is that you can argue about words all day long. Have you ever met someone in a parallel universe? That's the best way I know how to describe it. They say this and they're going this way. You say exactly the same thing. You're going this way. And the only thing you have in common is you're passing each other on the way to where you're going. You say all the same things. How many of you have been in a church that you found out was not teaching the truth, but they told you they were teaching the truth? Most of you were before you came here. You say, how do, you know, how do we know you're teaching the truth? Take it home and study it out. And if you have any questions about what I've said this morning, come back, talk to me. And I'll explain why I said what I said. Because what I'm trying to do is teach you just what's in this book and what's in this book alone. But you know what? You can argue about words till the cows come home. And by the way, I don't have any, so it's going to be an awful long time. It's not going to get you one step closer to the truth. You see, you have to study God's Word. It's verse 15. And we have to move or we'll be here this afternoon. It says... Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth of erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrew the faith of some. Now, I want to just bring this out before we get to the main point of verse 19 here. Is you have to study God's word. There's an awful lot of stuff that is just simply profane and vain are the two words that are used. Profane is taking something that is relegated to God, something that is holy, and making it common. If I hear somebody say, oh my God, one more time, I think I'm going to blow a gasket. I, I am so sick of every time, some, oh my God, I got a parking ticket. He didn't give you the parking ticket if you'd had enough sense to read the sign before you parked or put the time on your watch so you didn't show up late. You wouldn't have gotten a parking ticket. God had nothing to do with that, my friend. Don't give me... Oh, my God, that's profane. It's taking his name in vain. Every once in a while, I'll get into a conversation, hear my kids talking, and sometimes I'll allow myself to be dragged into a conversation, and they're talking about so-and-so and how so-and-so did it, and usually I'll stop the conversation and said, you know... So-and-so only existed on the pages of somebody's book. They're not a real person. Why are we talking about this guy? As if something really bad happened. I I heard a preacher one time. I don't know if he's making it up. I hope he was, but he, he seemed to tell that it was true. Some lady came in and in prayer meeting, she requested prayer for one of her soap opera stars who was going through some tragedy on the television set. And I'm sitting here going, I I hope and pray he's making that up. I really do. You know, sometimes preachers make their own illustrations. And they ought to tell you when it's made up and when it was real. But he told it like it was real. And knowing people, it just may have been. But the Bible says we're to shun profane and vain babblings. You know, if you turned in TBN, you would think that the best get-rich-quick scheme in the world is just believe in Jesus. Put a dollar in the plate and you get $100 back. They've preached that kind of stuff on there. If that actually worked, don't you think Warren Buffett would be doing it? I mean, that guy, those people only want one thing more money. He doesn't care what he has to do to get it. He just wants it. As long as he doesn't go to jail, I mean, he's more honest than some like Bernie Madoff. Uh, but the simple truth of the matter is, the Bible says to shun profane and vain babblings because they will increase unto more ungodliness. Here's, look at the end of verse. Uh, verse 19, would you? Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, here's, here's the first thing you can do if you want to tip that preadventure in your favor. Is, is what I am doing, is what I'm allowing, is what I want to do moving me farther away from iniquity Or closer to it. Because if you're moving closer to iniquity, what you're doing is you're putting yourself in the position to be influenced by the devil at his will. You know, even Christians can do that. There are preachers that lose their ministry and their reputation because they stop departing from iniquity. Let me tell you, it happens in the life of Christians. This passage is primarily talking to Christians, not about salvation. You see, the foundation of the Lord standeth sure. God knows who is saved and who isn't. You know what the problem is? We don't. What did Jesus say in the parable of the wheat and the tares? He said, you let both of them grow up together. He says, and I'll separate them on judgment day. I'll straighten the whole thing out. Your job is to just in meekness instruct those, and there are going to be some people out there that are opposing themselves, that are asking themselves hard questions, that are congratulating themselves because they think they understand all of the great depths of the knowledge of the Word of God. Uh, they, they can sit there and, and feel bad about sin that they have done, and so they oppose themselves and argue with themselves about the sin that they have done. And they don't depart one step from iniquity. They're in the snare. And they don't even know it. But the Bible says, if you have the foundation of the Lord, the words of this book, you'll depart from iniquity. And by the way, what is iniquity? Anything contrary to God's word. I mean, we could fill, let me fill in the blanks. I many of you watched something on TV this week that wasn't honoring to God? Well, it was just one scene, preacher. Certainly you, you can't, I'm just asking you, are you moving closer to iniquity or are you moving further away from it? Did you laugh at the dirty jokes in the break room at work? Are you moving farther away from sin or are you moving closer to it? Did you allow yourself to get angry and use profane words yourself? Are you moving further away from iniquity or closer to it? It says, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You see, there's a battle here and it's all about words. And the Bible says that's the wrong battle to be fighting. They increase unto more ungodliness. It says they eat as doth a canker. Now, how many of you have ever had a canker sore? That's not what this is talking about. How many of you have ever had gangrene? You know what? Not too many. Because gangrene is a deadly disease. That's what the the canker is here. I'm somewhat familiar with that because my uncle died from that. He was a diabetic, got a sore on his toe, and when it stopped hurting, he thought it was getting better. He was always one to ignore that kind of stuff. They told him that if he'd have gotten to the hospital five minutes later, they wouldn't have been able to save him. Because of an infection in his toe his leg was about this long. They had to take it off almost at the hip because the canker ate and killed the flesh, starting in his toe all the way up his leg. Several years later, the same thing happened in his other leg. He only had one now. And he chose to do the same thing. Only this time he didn't get to the hospital in time. And my mother found him on the floor in the house. And you know, a lot of people pass into eternity. Their soul literally eaten as a canker. Because they refuse to listen to the words of God and sat there opposing themselves with the words of man. That's what this passage is talking about. And we go on, and here's the real battle. It's the battle for purity. It says, in a great house, but in a great house, verse 20, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. Then we get back to where we started. You see, there are all kinds of vessels in the house. It never ceases to amaze me. You go into an antique store, and what's there? Well, this is an 1820s toilet. It's a big, beautiful ceramic pitcher and a bowl. And people buy those things and they put them in their house as decorations. I'm sorry if you do that. More power to you. Forgive this simple old preacher, but I don't want somebody's toilet adorning my living room. I'm sorry. And you say, but they didn't use it for that. Well, you go ahead and deceive yourself if you wish. Uh, But the big bowl at the bottom was for getting rid of the dirty water. Uh, I just, I don't get it, but that's the way the world is. You know, is it it unreal as to why the Bible says whose glory is their shame? Why wouldn't we put a toilet up on the mantelpiece of something beautiful if our glory is in our shame? Why wouldn't we take aberrant, vile acts of human degeneracy that were not even spoken of Twenty five years ago. And now are part of common language. Because of the wicked acts of people in high power. You know the reason people love Bill Clinton? He got away with it. Did he? Uh This Bible says no. This Bible says he was taken captive by the devil at his will. And you know what he said in his book? I didn't read his book. I have no intention of ever reading his book. I don't like reading about dirty things. But some news commentators said you've got to hear this out of his book. It was an auto-recording of Bill Clinton reading his own book. Now, by the way, they spelled the title of the book wrong. They put an F in there. He said, my life, it just, take out the F and it was my lie and it would have been perfect. But he said, I did what I did because I could get away with it. I thought I could. Doesn't that sound like being taken captive of the devil at his will? That a man would take the power of the office of the president and use it for such evil things. And yet, you you know what? People take the power that is in this book called the Bible and try to tell God, dictate to him how he should do things in their lives. Bill Clinton ain't got nothing on you. Totally amateur. Amateur compared to what some people do with the Word of God. It's quiet this morning. And I hope that's because we're thinking about the things that are being said. You see, if we don't accept repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, if we won't even wake up and realize where we are, we're never getting out. And if we don't get out, we're never going to serve God. If you're here today and you're not saved and you're in the snare of the devil, you're never getting into heaven. You say, how can I get past that? Well, let's start. Let's go back. It said, we've got to shun the battle of words. We've got to shun profane and vain babblings. Uh, We've got to stop worrying about... Questions, that uh, foolish and unlearned questions. You know, I don't need to know where King got his wife or who the sons of God were in Genesis chapter 6. I don't have to be able to explain to a uh, evolutionary biologist why I believe in creation. What I need to do is I need to believe God and let his word help me depart from iniquity. I need to study His Word so I can tell the difference between what is right and what is wrong. According to God's Word. I need to purge myself from these that I can be a vessel unto honor, fit, and meet, prepared for the Master's use. You know why? Because He will give me repentance to the acknowledging of the truth so that He can use me. Because there's not a one of us in this room, myself included, that are not on the devil's prey list. P-R-E-Y. He wants to destroy us. He wants to capture us. He wants to keep you from getting saved. He wants to keep you, if you're saved, he wants to keep you from serving God. You see, it's God's will that we have repentance. But repentance is the work that God's Word does in our heart. And it does that work to a point to where it turns our feet and we walk in His way. I've given this example. We're almost done here. Many times people have said, uh, uh, can I talk with you, Pastor? Somebody's put a curse on me. Uh, uh, can you deal with that? And, and I tell them the same thing every time. It's very easy to get rid of the devil's curse. Get wrapped up in God. It really doesn't matter. You get close enough to God, the devil doesn't bother you. Because he doesn't like getting anywhere near God. You want the devil to leave you alone? Worship God. Get some good, godly music. Music is part of worship. That's why we sing the hymns that we do. And one of the things I don't want us ever to do, and I feel like we've done it, is just get into a pattern where we just do the same thing every Sunday morning. So, we're going to start doing things a little different. So, pay attention. I don't know about you, but I had fun this morning. I'm going to have even more fun watching Brother Franz try to do that. <laughs> but our music is worship. In a little bit, we're going to have an offering. You know what? We can get doing the same old thing for an offering every week, that's not worship. You see, I want repentance in my life to the acknowledging of the truth. And I'm going to get that by shunning profane and vain babblings, by studying the Word of God properly. And how do I know if I'm studying the Word of God properly? It moves me away from iniquity. That's how I know I'm studying the Word properly. If you're not moving away from iniquity, you're not studying the Word properly. The Bible talks about those who rest the Scriptures to their own destruction. Let's not be there. It says that we've got to purge ourselves from these. That we There are things that we need to do. And if we will do those things, let me tell you that peradventure... In that verse down there, verse 19 or 20, I'm sorry, I've got it mixed up. I know where it is on the page. Uh, Verse 25, that peradventure is going to be a very small chance of missing out on it. But if I allow those vain and profane babblings to control my life and thoughts... If I refuse to purge myself from these and be prepared for a vessel, meet for the Master's use, whatever that might happen to be, if I refuse to obey the little things in God's Word, guess what? All of a sudden, that perventure meter just starts going into the red. Because I have removed myself from the protection of this book my job as a preacher, don't congratulate yourself if you can argue with yourself. Don't congratulate yourself if you have contradictions within your being. That's a danger sign. That should be telling you, you are in trouble. Acknowledging the truth. It's just saying, yes, Lord. And you can recover yourself out of the snare of the devil. Why do you have to recover yourself? Well, very simply put, have you ever had somebody do something for you very complicated and then you messed it up and they had to come back and do it again? And you messed it up. I mean, if anybody's ever tried to learn how to fly fish, you know what I'm talking about. You get a tangled spool every time you try. And somebody's got to come back and fix it all up. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Just understand fly fishing is a very difficult thing. But see, God doesn't want to constantly be coming back And straightening out the spool of your life. He wants you to learn what a mess it's in. So that you don't go back. You say, it's going to take years. Uh, How long did it take you to get into the mess? uh, uh, Years. Well, would you be willing to give God back the time that you took from him? And allow him to work you through these things so that you could recover yourself and be the person that God wants you to be. Let me tell you something. If you've taken this sermon as doom and gloom and preachers mad at me, I want you to understand something. You're in the snare. He has the ability
1: to give
0: you the ability to recover yourself. It's the most encouraging message, I know. But you got to acknowledge the truth. you got to be willing to admit where you are. If you're sitting here today and you're not saved, would you at least admit that you're not saved? Would you start somewhere? If you're here today and your life does not reflect the things that are in this book, would you be at least honest enough in church of all places? Say, God, my life is a mess. I need you to straighten it out. That's the first part of this. God will do it. Because He's capable of doing it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, I, I pray for each one sitting in this auditorium this morning. There are some people here that are just ready to step on the trigger of that snare that has been laid for them. They have been led to that point. By the devil and by allowing things that aren't in your word in their lives. And they're just ready to step on it. Lord, I pray. I pray for them today that you'd pull that foot back. That they would hear enough of your word to be afraid and come to you. Lord, I pray for those that are already wrapped up and bagged. They are already taken in the snare. That you would allow them to look out the bars of that cage and be honest enough to say, I'm caught. And Lord, that doesn't necessarily mean you're unsaved. The devil has destroyed the lives of many people who name the name of Jesus. And Lord, we understand many of those people were never saved, but Lord, we don't have time to deal with all of that, but I ask that the Holy Spirit would deal with each life accordingly. Lord, that we would have people who'd be willing to come up here and just spend some time at an old fashioned altar saying, God, I don't even know if I'm caught. I am so messed up. Will you will you help me understand at least where I am so we can start moving in the right direction for a change? Lord, I pray for repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Lord, I pray for those that oppose themselves, that even now are sitting here holding an argumentation and debate within their own souls. Lord, they could get just a glimmer of how foolish and worthless that endeavor is. And that they would surrender their life to you. Lord, help us to walk in your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation. Just as.